To those of you who are joining us on live stream for our morning service, we are in Galatians chapter 5, in the middle of this chapter actually, verses 13 to 18. We read those in our service here a minute ago. I want you to know this is the first Sunday in December. This will be the last message in Galatians until January. So uh, uh, starting next week, we have uh, uh, one of our Ukrainian missionaries with us, and I know you'll enjoy that next Sunday morning. And then we'll have uh, a couple Christmas messages and uh, take us through the uh, New Year's, and we'll be back to Galatians in January. So we're going to kind of end up here in verses 13 through 18. Notice that I call this that we are called to liberty. It's our title. We see those words in verse 13 uh, where we start our text. Well, in verse 1 of chapter 5, Paul had told us, Stand fast in this liberty, because Christ has made us free. And so in verse 13, he's going to say, But be careful that you do not use this liberty the wrong way, And he's also going to say there's a right way to use this liberty. I think that's always important uh, in the Christian life. You know, this last summer I was up in Montana, and a good friend of mine, Dave Pestel, you you, uh, may remember Dave, he spoke for us once here for our Bible conference some years ago now. And we were together, and he happened to make this statement because we were talking about these kinds of things. He said, you know, Christianity is a package deal. I thought of, you know, I thought of when, when I heard that, uh, kind of an odd way to put it. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought how true that is. When you, when you become a believer, you get everything. And you get a lot of ups and downs throughout your life. What he meant was, we have, on the one hand, forgiveness of sin, and yet we have a war with sin in our lives. We gain friends as believers. We lose friends because we've become believers. We, on the one hand, are giving thanks to God for all of his blessing, and, on, and, and in the same breath, we're asking God to help us through the, the trials and the things we have to go through in life. We enjoy the abundant life in Christ, and yet sometimes we live a carnal life before Christ. We get the whole package when we come to Christ. We have to deal with it all. That's, that's the way it is. So the Christian life is, is a war, right? It's a race. It's a fight. It's service. It's vocation. It's stewardship. It's commission, ambassadorship, ministry. We'll see down in the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. It's all of those things. You know, when, when a person is faced with the gospel and doesn't know Christ as Savior, that person kind of has the attitude, well, I don't know if I want to become a Christian. I don't know if I can do all of those things. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I, if I want to give up my life that I have as a lost person. I just do what I want to do. But when a person comes to Christ, all of a sudden that person says, you know, what a great life this is. What a relief from my burdens. What a forgiveness of sin. What a, what a right I have to live for God. Just everything changes. Something that you don't realize would happen before you get saved. So Paul's going to come back uh, here in this chapter, in the middle of the chapter. Remember, we're in those last two chapters of the book where uh, the application 
uh, is given to us from all of these things that, that we have heard. So notice uh, in your outline you have in your bulletin or, or on the screen that I'm, we have six verses, and I think they're neatly divided into three that look at this and three that look at it this way. We have liberty toward others. We all of a sudden learn how to live toward other people and even toward our fellow man in this world. And, and secondly, we learn how to have liberty toward ourselves, how we can have that freedom in uh, our lives and live the way we should also. The whole context, by the way, of this passage should take us all the way down through the chapter. <laughs> and if, if we could do it all together, we would continue on down. But uh, as you glance at this chapter, you may have a Bible that divides these things up, or you may see them, that he's going to spend from verse 19 through 21 listing the works of the flesh, those things that are opposed uh, to us in this world, and then, from, from 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, which comes into our life because of the Holy Spirit. So all of those things are kind of a result of what we're going to talk about this morning. But I'm going to have to stop it at verse 18. Then we'll come back and we'll kind of get the results of a lot of what we're work, looking at here this morning. So first of all, beginning in verse 13, I've called it liberty toward others. This verse again, verse 13, says, For you, brethren... Have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity, an occasion for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So here's our command. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, we the word, uh, the idea to serve is a command to us. So notice also in my outline. Uh, this turned out to be kind of uh, interesting or unique. There's an admonition on both sides of this, an admonition when it comes to how we deal with other people, and uh, that is serve in love, and there's an admonition to ourselves, and that is to walk in the Spirit. And then there's, there's a reason given for both of those, so a reason to, uh, to serve in love. And then in both cases, there's a consequence uh, of things that happen if we don't. So it's kind of a similar outline on both sides. We'll see it applied in both ways. So first of all, here's the admonition in verse 13. Uh, don't use your liberty this way, but use it this way. Now, liberty, remember, as we've been studying in, in the book of Galatians, uh, it means freedom from the law. We don't have to try to keep the law to be saved. We don't even have to try to keep the law to live a righteous life before Christ. When it says you're called to this liberty, I think in Paul's mind, he's saying, this is your call to salvation. You are the called according to his purpose. You are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were called by the Holy Spirit to come to Christ. He convicted you. He pulled you. He drew you to himself. And so that calling you have of coming to Christ then gives you this liberty. You're called not to, not to bondage. You're called to liberty. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Free from law keeping, again, as I said. Now, uh, to glance back in chapter 2 and verse 4 was the first place we had this liberty mentioned because false brethren secretly brought in uh, unawares came in by stealth to spy out our liberty 
Paul says, I, I came to you and preached the gospel, and you received it. You got saved, and now you're trying to go back under the bondage of the law again? There are those trying to do that. And then in chapter 5 and verse 1, uh, he told us to stand fast in this liberty. Now, one thing we should notice about this, or a couple things about this verse, but first of all is Paul says, just because once you're saved, you're always saved, doesn't mean that you should go out and just live however your flesh wants to live. Don't use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Now, the Bible reminds us of this many times, and there, there are those out there who say, well, you know, you Baptists and others who believe that uh, in eternal security, that once you're saved, you're always saved. If I believe that, I just go out and live however I want to live. And of course, that's been the big change in our lives. We don't want to live that way anymore. We want to be able to live for Christ. So, uh, for example, Peter in 1 Peter 2.16 said, live as free people, not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8.9, beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. So we always have the, the, the warnings or the admonitions in Scripture. Yes, once we're saved, we're always saved. Yes, we are saved by the grace of God, not by the works of our flesh. But don't use that to give your, your flesh and your old nature some kind of liberty to do what it wants to do. As a matter of fact, secondly here, I want you to notice that word opportunity, or you might have the word occasion there. Don't give your flesh an occasion. Now, I thought, that's an important word in this verse. What does that mean? Aforme. Here's what it means is, and it's kind of an interesting word. When you look it up in a lexicon, it will say a base of operation. <laughs> well, if you were in the military, you, you would understand that, that uh, term, I think. A base of operation is the home base, where you operate from. What is it, where is it that you go out and live in this world? Uh, as a base of operation, I suppose that's where the ammunition is kept. That's where the communications are done. That's where you come back and retreat. That's where you go out from uh, in order to fight the enemy. Don't let your liberty be a base of operation for your old nature. Flesh in this case means you, you still have sin in you. You still have a sin nature. And it still wants to do things. Now, you don't have to follow it. It's not, in, it's not in command anymore, but it's there. And it wants to do things. Don't use your liberty as a base of operation for that, as a, some kind of a military campaign for that. I know in the adult Bible class, you've been studying through the book of Romans. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 6, let me go back to two verses in Romans 6 and read how Paul puts this in Romans 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. I mean, it's in there. It's in us. That you should obey it in the lusts. Do not present your members, all of the things about yourself, as instruments or weapons of unrighteousness to sin. Your body wants to do this. Your old nature wants to do these things. But then he says, but... Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments. I like the idea of weapons. 
of righteousness to God. The same thing that, about you that you used to run off and, and do all of those sins, by the way, the ones listed in verses 19, 20, and 21, used to go off and do all of those. Now, put those away and use all of your members and all that you have as servants to God. That's what Paul says we should do, and we can. Now, the word serve then at the end of the verse, but through love serve one another. That's why I have. What is the admonition? This is actually, there are two imperatives. You mean, that, that's the word for command. There are two commands in these six verses. This is the first one, serve one another, the next one will be, in verse 16, walk in the Spirit. Those are the two commands that we have. And so here you have, I, I think, an irony, if you will. You were a slave to sin. Sin just controlled you. It did what it wanted to do. It was the base of operation in you. You got saved, and guess what? Now you're a slave to God. <laughs> it, isn't that odd? You, tr you just traded masters is what you did. You were a slave to sin, could not do righteousness, and now you get saved, and your liberty is liberty to serve God and to serve one another. So this word doulos, you know the word for servant, douleo would be the verb, the action here is the imperative. You know what you can do with your liberty now that you weren't able to do before? You can serve one another. You can be servants. You never had it in you to do that. You served yourself. That's all you wanted to serve. Let me go to Peter's words about this in 2 Peter 2.19. While they promise you liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. But by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into bondage. Then he says uh, after that, God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered and have been set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness. Excuse me, that's Paul who, who concludes it that way. So you were slaves of sin, now you're slaves to righteousness. Isn't it great? You didn't think you could do this. You said, I don't want to get saved. I don't want to come to Christ because I don't want to give up my freedom to, to sin. And I don't think I could do all of those Christian things anyway. You get saved and you're so glad you gave those up. And now you serve God with, a, with all the freedom that you have. It's a, it's a blessing that we have it that way. The liberty to serve one another. Now, why do we do it? Verse 14. Here's the reason he gives us. For... All the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's, what's been the, the theme of this book? Don't you need the law of Moses? Don't you need all of those Old Testament uh, statutes and, and laws in order to, to live the way uh, you should? And Paul's been saying, no, you don't. What you need is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find yourselves fulfilling the law in all the ways that it demanded that you couldn't before anyway. And so he brings us up a statement that, by the way, you, if you have a cross-reference Bible, you will see a reference to Leviticus 19, verse 18, because that's where this statement appears first in the Old Testament. And so 
You fulfill the law. Now, let me kind of set this in its, in its context, too. In Matthew 22, and, and in the other Gospels also, but in Matthew 22, someone comes to Jesus and he says this, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the greatest commandment? Jesus said to him, here's, here's his answer. Number one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Then he said, number two, and the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Okay, you remember that kind of statement, and it appears a number of places uh, in the New Testament. Go back to the Ten Commandments. You go back to Exodus chapter 20, you have Ten Commandments. You, you've seen them on plaques, and you've seen them all over. Well, we call it two tables of the law. Actually, it's the first four and then the second six. The first four talk about you and God. Here's how you love the Lord your God, and that's what Jesus said. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, well, you'll have no other gods before me. Don't have any idols. Don't take the name of God in vain and keep the Sabbath. You want to love God? Do those things. And then the second table has six things to it. You need to do those. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't covet. Those are the Ten Commandments. And you know what? If you love one another, you do all of those things. When Christ comes into your heart and makes you a new creature and sets you free from your flesh, now you are at liberty to do those things that before you never could accomplish. You never could quite get them all done. And so you have love of God and you have the love of your neighbor and love fulfills all of your obligations toward God and all of your obligations toward your neighbor. It's a great thing. This love that you have uh, that helps you uh, here, uh, loving, your, since we're to serve one another, you've already found out how to love one another. Now, notice the word neighbor. I, you know, I, I got to thinking about that word because I remember it was in Luke chapter 10 where a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And this rich young ruler uh, says to Jesus, uh, what is, uh, or, or excuse me, who is my neighbor? Jesus says these same words in Luke. And he hears them and he comes and he says, well, then who is my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, who is my neighbor? He probably under his breath was saying, you don't know my neighbor. <laughs> you, know, you don't know the guy that lives next door to me or you wouldn't be saying that, you know, because we can all think in our minds, how could you love that person? How could you love this person? How, you know, how could you at all fulfill this? Well, then Jesus gave that parable of the Good Samaritan. And he said, here's a man who went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He fell among thieves. And a priest comes by, and he sees the man over there lying uh, beaten up on the street. He goes to the other side of the street and walks on by. The Levite uh, comes by. He sees the man there. He goes to the other side and walks on by too. So this Samaritan, half Jew, half Gentile, you know, not a guy who really keeps the, the law anyway, and he sees the man, and you know the story. 
He goes over there, picks him up. He takes him to the inn. He, he, he tries to bandage him up. He pays for his night's stay there. And then Jesus said, uh, who was a neighbor to this man? Of course, the Samaritan was. You know, I've always thought a good conclusion to that story is, who is your neighbor? He's the person who's there. That's the person who's there. It may be your next-door neighbor. It may be that poor girl who's working, checking out at Walmart and has put up with crazy people all day long, and you come on and, uh, through, and uh, you kind of give her a hard time because you're not quite satisfied. That's your neighbor. It might be that person, uh, you know, you sit next to in a public place somewhere and say hello to who's having a bad day and you don't know it. That's your neighbor. It's the person who's there. It's, it's a human being made in God's image who has an eternal soul that needs to live somewhere forever. That's your neighbor. And if then you are set free from the law to be able to live the way God wants us to live and do it freely and do it willingly, then you will fulfill what the law demanded. You will just do it because you are a child of God, and that's the way it should be. Now, I know it's hard to do, but we can do it. Even Paul said the same thing in Romans 13. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. It's interesting in in Matthew 13, where that statement is, he's talking about obeying the law of the government. And he uses these same words that Jesus used that Paul is using here. And that is, what authority has God placed you under in this world? It may be under government, it may be under uh, military, it may be under uh, a boss or uh, you know, an employer or something like that. That's your neighbor. And be toward that person as you ought to be. So any authority God's placed us under is also our neighbor. So why do we, why do we need to serve in love? Because then we fulfill the law and we love our neighbor. What is the consequence? Well, in verse 15, because if you bite and devour one another, you better beware lest you be consumed of one another. Hmm. Well, tonight we're going to have a banquet, and we're going to bite, and we're going to devour, and we're going to consume. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of the process that goes on, right, uh, when we're hungry. Well, if, if, you, if you operate as a base of operation out of your flesh, you're going to bite, you're going to devour, and you're going to consume other people rather than serving them in love. And you better be careful also among ourselves as Christian people we could do the same thing. If someone said this is a description of Christian cannibals, <laughs> you know, we can eat one another. There, I, I read this story one guy was talking about it in, in the Apocrypha. There's an apocryphal story about two snakes. You know how snakes like to swallow each other. It's always a weird thing to me that they, they don't chew, they don't uh, uh, devour, they just consume. They just go right over somebody. And, and there's this uh, mythical story about two snakes who grabbed each other by the tail and started consuming each other until basically they were both all gone. <laughs> they, they consumed each other. And, and Paul is kind of saying, beware, you could consume each other. You could eat each other up in a way that shouldn't be. 
Maybe, you know, in Wednesday, last Wednesday night in our Bible study, we were talking about Matthew chapter 18, which in the first half of the chapter talks about how, to, how we have to approach a brother or a sister that is in sin or doing something harmful. How do we approach that person and correct that person? And then in the second half of the chapter is how do we forgive once they make things right? And, you know, I, I said at the time, and I think often, sometimes we can do one without doing the other, and we just consume each other. We're really good at disciplining and, you know, uh, correcting people, but we never forgive them when they do the right thing. Or, on the other hand, we don't care about that. We just forgive anybody or anything they do and never try to help them or correct them. Either way, you can, you can devour each other. We need both, don't we? We need to act as Christian people. Our problem is that we're too hungry about these kinds of things. We want to serve ourselves. We want to do what our flesh says to do rather than what the other person needs. Let me end the, this section with a statement from Martin Luther, who in, in his great commentary says so many wonderful things. A Christian man is a free lord over all things and subject to nobody. A Christian man is a ministering servant in all things and subject to everybody. You get the whole package when you come to Christ. And that's what we have. Now, let me jump then to the second half. So in verse 16 to 18, we, he brings up the second command. Not only can we learn how to love and serve one another, but what about ourselves? What about you? How do, how do you serve the Lord? How, how do you keep on track uh, so to speak, with the Lord. Well, I say then, a little, a little note here, the word then it is the word that is usually translated but, duh, D-E in, in that language, but do it this way, a contrast. I told you this, but you can do this, believer. You can, you can be like this. I say then. Here's the command, walk in the Spirit. And when you do, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What's the admonition? This imperative, walk in the Spirit. Another detail, by the way, I like the details. Second person, plural, is you, and he's talking to all of you. So he's talking to the Galatian believers. He's talking to the church up in Galatia. And he says, uh, so then... You walk in the Spirit. In other words, you believers, you have come to Christ, you who uh, are at liberty uh, to, to serve God in, the, in a free way, you need to walk in the flesh. Let me ask you this. Uh, do, do you like to walk? You like to go for a walk? When I was younger and had good knees, I, I used to like to jog, but I don't like to do that anymore. So Sorry, it's down to walking now. But I like to walk. You, where do you like to walk? If I had my choice and could walk anywhere, it would be in, a, in the woods somewhere, wouldn't it? Just a path uh, through the woods and see the trees and the forest and everything that God made. And maybe you don't have that, so maybe you just walk around the block, and that's okay. You, you have your way to go, and you walk around the block. Or some of you might be those gym-type people, right? Uh, you've got, a, you've got a, a membership, and you go down to the gym, and you run around the track or the gym or, or whatever it is. Uh, or maybe you, you still can find a mall to walk in. I don't know. There aren't too many of them anymore. But maybe, maybe, you know, 
that, that is your sphere or your realm of where you like to walk. What did Paul say in our verse? Walk where? You get the idea. In the Spirit. That's our realm. Or if you will, that's our base of operation. He already told us on the other side, don't use your liberty as a base of operation for the flesh. Well, what's our base of operation? Walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit of God. He can, he can command us to say, walk in the Spirit, just like in Ephesians, Paul will use the command, be filled with the Spirit. This is your base of operation. You have to do this in order to live right. You have the flesh in you. You have that old nature. I know we've taught this in our Sunday school classes and our sermons and the rest. You have two natures. You have that old nature still. It's just that he's being dethroned. He's been deposed. He's, he doesn't have any authority in you anymore, but he's still there, and he's still barking out his orders, and you can still go do them if you're not careful. But you have a new nature. You have the Spirit of God living within you. That's who you need to hear, and that's who you need to follow. Now, if you do that, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I've defined this word a number of times, but I want to do it one more time. Thumia, in that language, means desire, and that can be good and bad. There are good desires, there are bad desires. So when you put the prefix epa in front of it, it's a short desire, and we always translate that word lust. A lust is a short desire. I want this. See, my, my mind tells me, do this. My mouth says, speak this word. You know, my gut tells me, give me this right now. That's a short desire, and we translate it lust. That's the way your old nature is. That's the way you used to live, impulsively giving in all the time to every temptation that came around. That, that short desire. Now, take that word thumia and take the word short off of it and put the word long in front of it, macro. Thumia. Macrothumia then would be taking a long desire, or we have it usually translated long suffering. And long suffering is almost always in the Bible a good thing. James even uses this, and we have it translated patience, but it's actually the word macrothumia. Uh, the farmer has, you know, plants his field and has great patience to wait for the, the harvest to come. It takes all season. You are to wait for the Lord who will return. In other words, if we're going to walk in the Spirit, we have to take the long look, not the short look. We have to have the long desire, not the short. I know that serving the Lord can be tough. I know it takes time. It takes energy. It takes, it, it takes effort. You want to give of your finances. You want to give of your time and all of that that you didn't do before you got saved. But you're taking the long look, aren't you? You're looking down the road to when you stand before the Lord and you want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You, you want to have walked in this world the way God wants you to walk. That's long suffering. But to live by short suffering, short desires, will only be wood, hay, and stubble when you stand before Christ. And can you do it? Yes, you can. How many times have you heard 1 Corinthians 10, 13? There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. 
whatever it is that bugs you, bugs everybody. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. Well, Lord, I just I couldn't stand it. I couldn't help it. Yes, you could. You're at liberty. You operate out of the Spirit. You have these things in your life. And so he will, with that temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Because God could have delivered you from it. God had made a way for you to get out of that. You just didn't take advantage of it. It's there. So the lust of the flesh is around. You have to know it. And before we leave verse 16, I want you to, I, I want you to see or, or understand that word walk again. Because in verse 1, we had that word stand. Stand for the truth. You have to. Verse 7, we had the word run. We're in a race. We're running uh, for the Lord. But now we come back to that very common word, walk. And I think it's so appropriate because if you're going to take the long look, you know, it, it, if you're running a 100-yard dash, okay, run, outs, run all outs fast as you can go. But if you're a cross-country runner, nah, you don't run like that. You have to pace yourself. You have to know how to go. And so walking in the Spirit here is that idea, a steady, constant pace that will take you from here to the end. You have to be going in the right direction when you walk. You have to have good balance when you walk. You have to know what the goal is, and you have to do it because there's a reward out there for you. So walk in that way toward the end, in the Spirit. And why do we do it, verse 17? Because the reason is, a long verse here, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Sounds odd, doesn't it, to say the flesh lusts against the spirit. We understand that. The spirit lusts against the flesh. or The spirit pushes back. The flesh wants this. It pushes for this. The spirit pushes back. No, you don't need to do that. And so the, the, the idea against here is the word, little word kata, which means to push. And I, I kind of think push down. As a matter of fact, always in my mind, I have a picture of a teeter-totter. Now, uh, I don't know if you're old enough to have been, you know, had a playground when you were a kid that had teeter-totters, because I don't see them anymore. I guess they think they're dangerous. Kids are going to get killed on them. And we did kill a few, but, but not too many. <laughs> Uh, you know, but we had, we had fun on those teeter-totters, right? And so, uh, you know, you'd get on there, and, and uh, if, if you were the lighter person, then the, he the heavier person got on this end, he sat down and went to the ground, and you were up in the air, right? You thought that was real fun. And then he jumped off, <laughs> and you went, bang, you hit the ground. You know, they, they, were, they were great toys. I, I loved them. <laughs> but if you're, if you're pushing down one end and the other person is sitting and pushing down on the other end, who basically wins? The person with the most weight, right? So it's the side of the teeter-totter that has the most weight that's going to win this battle. One pushes down on this side, the spirit pushes down on this side. You know what they push down with? Well, we'll come back to that. Verse 19 to 21, 
17 things that the flesh uses to push down on his side. And boy, they're heavy things when you read that list. Heavy things. And then he gets to the end in verse 21 and says, and the like, and such things. I mean, in other words, there's more than that. There's a lot of weight over there. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit in 22 and 23, seven things. And then also, against such there is no law. So more, or nine things, I mean. So there's a few more also there. But they're pushing this way, and the others are pushing on the other side. Which is the realm that will win? The one that you give the weight to. The one that you give your time to. The one that you, you have your exercise in. The one that is your realm of operation, your base of operation, if you will. So... I want you to notice before we leave here, too, uh, that if you go down to verse 24, we're going to come to that verse later that says, now those who are Christ have crucified the flesh, crucified it with its passions and desires. That's how you win. You keep, you keep that person off the other side <laughs> from being able to push down against you. If, you know, it, there's two places where Paul uses the word mortified. Do you remember that? Here they are, Romans 8, 13. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Mortify means put it to death. Kill it. Get those things out of the way. Also in Colossians 3, 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, idolatry, and other same things that are in the list here. Mortify them. Put them to death. Don't have them anymore. I want to tell you something funny that ha uh, happened over Thanksgiving. Uh, our kids were here, uh, and Michael, Michael was here. Thank you for praying for Michael. He was here. We had a good time at Thanksgiving. And uh, just before he was leaving uh, on Saturday morning in the snow to go back to Colorado, uh, he said, have you, have you seen this little video? You know how they, YouTube captures all kinds of funny little videos. Of uh, You remember the Bob Newhart show where he was a psychiatrist, you know, and now they have these little video clips. So he showed us this video clip. So here's, here's Bob Newhart, and he's a psychiatrist, and he's sitting behind his desk, and this woman walks in, and, she's, and he says, uh, ma'am, how can I help you? And, he, and she says, well, I've got all kinds of problems. That's why I, I came to you to help me. He said, okay, what are they? And she starts, you know, I, well, I'm afraid that this is going to happen to me. And every time I see this, I'm afraid. And when I go to bed, I'm afraid. When I get up, I'm afraid. And uh, she says, I just don't know how to deal with it. And so I've come to you. And Bob Newhart says, good. I have, I have the answer that you need. I have it in two words. Oh, she says, that's wonderful. Uh, what are those two words? He says, stop it. <laughs> and she says, wait a minute. I paid good money to come here, and I thought maybe I'd lie down on the couch and everything. And she says, nope, I've got, a great, I've got a better solution for you. Stop it. <laughs> and it's so funny, you know, to see her finally leave, and uh, he, he, uh, he won, won the deal. You know you know what John said in 1 John chapter 2? Love not the world is, is actually translated, stop it. Stop loving the world. Paul, when he was talking about money 
in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 uh, said, now just do it. <laughs> kind of like the Nike commercial. Just start the doing of it. Just give. You know, sometimes the commands, both from the opposite side and from the Lord, are about that simple. We think we can't do it. We have the power to do it. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God. You have those kinds of things. As a matter of fact, let me go on to verse 18, and you'll see why. So, verse 18 is the consequence. If you be led of the Spirit, then you are not under the law. Actually, that word the is not in that sentence. You're not under any law. The law of your flesh, the law of this world, the law of the Old Testament or anybody else's law. You are not under law if you do these things and walk in the Spirit. But notice, I like the word led because we've had the word stand, then we had the word run, and then we had the word walk, and now he adds a fourth word for us, and that is, you need a leader. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. You have someone to lead you. And what is that? You can be led by the Spirit. As a matter of fact, let me expand that. You have God the Father. As a heavenly Father leading you and telling you what is right and what is wrong, you have the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Lord of your life, and you are his servant. Lord, what would you have me to do? And you have the Holy Spirit living in you as a constant witness who brings these things to your mind and heart. And not only that, you have this Word of God that is your map, your instruction booklet, and your how-to. Uh, you have all of these ways to be led as you go through this life and walk in this liberty that you have. And if you do that, he says, then you're not under law, meaning what will you do? You'll, you'll fulfill those Ten Commandments because the Holy Spirit lives in you and He's leading you and you learn how to love God and love your neighbor and you're fulfilling all those commandments. You haven't even thought about that. You're, doing all, you're keeping all the things. The law used to have to command you and tell you and punish you to try to do good in this world and you still couldn't do it. Now you have the Lord Jesus Christ and you find yourself doing it because the Spirit lives within you and you're led of the Spirit. Uh, the law is not made for a righteous man, Paul says, but for the unlawful and ungodly, unholy and profane. Not for us. The law isn't made for us. As a matter of fact, down in verse 23, when he gets done about the fruit of the Spirit, the last phrase of verse 23 Against such there is no law. Oh, there's laws against verse 19, 20, and 21. Are there any laws in our land against verse 22 and 23? No, we wish people would live by them. We, I wish you could make a law and make them do that, but you can't. But you can live that way. Nobody has to have a, a law to make you live that way. You're a believer, and you can do it. So you have the freedom to do right, to do wrong. Let me close by just saying, Dr. Paul, what would you say? <laughs> Stop it and do it. That's what you need to do. You have liberty to do right, even though you have the ability to do wrong, Christian. And that old voice is still there, but you don't have to do that. You don't have to obey that old nature, that short desire. Walk where God leads you, 
operate out of the base of operation, which is the Spirit, and you will live by liberty and victory in this world. Stand with me if you will. So we stand and think about these things. We'll end our study or pause, I should say, our study in Galatians there for a while. But this is a good place, I think, to pause and think about. Let's pray. Now, Father, thank you for reminding us of these things. Thank you, Father, for, uh, for showing us how we can live in our liberty, live in our freedom, and yet accomplish everything that we tried to before and couldn't. We praise you, Father, for the regeneration that we have in accepting your Son as Savior for the Holy Spirit that lives within us and leads us. And Father, for putting within us that new nature where we belong to you and we're sons and daughters of God. Thank you for that. So Father, help us in this Christian life that we have, that we would walk it right, run it, stand where we need to stand, be led where we need to be led. And may we honor and glorify you in all of our lives. Father, if someone doesn't know Christ as Savior, they, they need this liberty. And Father, I pray wherever they hear the gospel today, whether by my, my, my voice or someone else's, that they would come to Christ as Savior. And help us, Father, to follow you in every way that we should. We'll praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We always sing a song. Our invitation is open as we sing. I'm here at the front if you need to come or meet me after the service as soon as uh, our service is ended. You uh, do what the Lord is leading you to do this morning. Gordon will come and lead us in a song.